Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. We've got our retreat ladies uh, who actually left North Monroe this past weekend and went over to Union Parish and did a retreat over there. Misty was the retreat director, I guess. And uh, she came back this morning saying, "It was that funny? Did I miss that? That, that was okay? Um, anyway, she started telling me what God was doing in Union Parish, and I thought it'd be better if she told you. So uh, this is Blake's microphone. Come here, Misty. Yeah, you can do it. Come here. Just tell them. Okay. Y'all have, she's standing up, so it's going to be hard to see her, but. um. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So first of all, I am not a director of a retreat. I'm a decorator. That is my passion. But out of obedience, um, the Lord spoke to me for the past two years. He's been after me because I'm from Union Parish. And um, we made it to North Monroe um, when our children went to school. And so he, um. He put the, he laid it on my heart to take the retreat ministry back to Union Parish. And again, I am not capable of directing. So it was all um, a step of faith out in, in total obedience to the Lord. And I literally had a team that was amazing. And I want to recognize my, my co-directors and my spiritual leader this morning because my nerves yesterday were shot and I couldn't even think of my own name. And this is the first time that... I didn't, even, I didn't even introduce myself, I don't think, ever. <laughs> so um, my spiritual leader was Adrian Bridges, and my co-directors were Erica Thompson, Hannah Livingston, Holly Gibbs, and um, a young lady that attends Farmville First Assembly. Her name is Brittany Williams, which is um, the pastor's uh, daughter there at Farmville First Assembly. So I just want to thank my team. I could not have done it without you. It was a mission field and our theme was joy and we just laid it out there. I literally just stepped out of the way and let the Holy Spirit take over. And I was able to witness something that I've never witnessed at a retreat. And these ladies just get laid some burdens and chains down and gained some freedom. There were lots of people that were saved, but they said, I've never felt freedom like this. And so they were able to feel what freedom really feels like. And it was an honor and a blessing just to, for me to be able to experience that. And I'm thankful for the Lord to push me out of my comfort zone. And I urge each one of you, if you ever feel that in your heart, to step out because you will receive the blessing, I promise. Wendy, tell, tell them about the bell. Tell, tell, me what, tell them what you told me. <laughs> okay, so um, there's a bell that we use at these retreats. And Corey Taylor was brilliant about bringing this up because sometimes people can't say in words that they're wanting to surrender. And so it's called a freedom bell. And all you have to do is just ring it, but you have to be like ready to give it up. And so, but it's easier sometimes to ring that bell. And we had 39 guests and that bell was rang 35 times. We had, um, we had several baptisms there, but also baptisms went out through their church and are, and are happening all in those little country churches in Union Parish. And I cannot wait to hear the revival and the fire that's happening in these churches. And that's what we're called to do is to be a, a disciple and, and spread it. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? 
I thought it was important to say that because I think what's happening in our church is happening all over. And it's not about North Monroe. It's about the kingdom of heaven and the fact that the kingdom of heaven is being, is being built, especially in North Louisiana. And I'm hearing from other churches around Louisiana. It's an exciting time to be a member of, of uh, the family of faith that we call Christianity not just a member of North Monroe. So sometimes we need to be reminded of that so that we don't live in our own little silo. Let's take our Bibles out. Let's go to John chapter 10. One of my favorite passages, this is Jesus teaching. So it's really more of a sermon than it is an illustrative narrative story. And the theme of this talk that he gives is that he's the good shepherd. Um, It really begins in verse 1 of John chapter 10. It says, truly, truly, And again, you see that truly, truly, amen, amen. Whenever Jesus used those two words together, it means sit up, listen up. I'm about to say something important. So it says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Now, there were actually two different kinds of doors that could be referred to in terms of shepherding in, in Israel in that time. And even to uh, within 100 years ago, is the same way. Uh, the first is that in the towns and villages, they would have a communal sheepfold. And on special occasions, they would bring all the sheep into that communal sheepfold. And then they would station a guard at the door of that because everybody's sheep were in, was in there. And in order to enter that communal sheepfold, uh, it was there because maybe it's winter, it's cold, they're bringing them in. Maybe uh, it's shearing time and they've got them in for that. For whatever reason, they're all together in that in that village or community, and they've got a guard so that the only person who can get into the sheepfold to be with the sheep has the credentials of ownership. And so that's what Jesus is referring to there. There's a second way that that is used that he will use later in this talk, uh, where when they're out in the wilderness, uh, the shepherd himself becomes the doorway to the sheep. Sometimes there were uh, stone walls and there would be a narrow opening and that would be the gate. But more often than not, it was simply a wide open area and the gateway became the shepherd. And he was the one that kept the bad things from getting in and kept the sheep from getting out. And so in this case, he talks about the fact that there's a guard at the door and the fact that he is with his sheep indicates he has the authority to be there because the sheep belong to to him. But the purpose of this whole talk, and I hope you really gain this as as we walk through it, is to understand the heart of God for you because we're his sheep and he's our shepherd, right? And all of this kind of ties into the Davidic promise that Jesus is the son of David. And remember, David wrote Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and all of that. And then it it plays into the idea that in Jesus' time, the shepherd was kind of the lowest of the low. In fact, they were considered so unseemly that they weren't allowed to testify in courts of law. And yet Jesus is identifying himself as a shepherd. And so we're getting back to this concept of, of the humility of Christ, but more importantly, the love of the shepherd for his sheep. And you see this throughout. And the first principle that I wanted to lift out of this to to give you this morning is this, that you are dear to the shepherd. Watch what he says in verse 3. To him the doorkeeper opens, that's the person guarding the gate, 
and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I mean, first of all, real sheep hear his voice, and the writers describe how... Now, the, the way we understand shepherding today might come from a YouTube video or something like that of, of how they shepherd in England or how they might shepherd in Australia. And it's very different there because, you know, oftentimes the sheep there are raised for food products. But in this case, they almost always were raised for the production of milk and for the wool. And so the shepherds would tend to live with those sheep for a very long time. They developed a real intimacy. For example, if you see in Australia or England uh, shepherds moving the sheep, they're going to be using dogs like Border Collies or Australian shepherds, and they're going to drive the sheep. But in Palestine, in the days of Jesus, the shepherd would lead the sheep. He would guide the sheep because there was this intimacy. And it says that he hears, hears his voice. And that became uh, very clear of people who were familiar with the Bedouin life and how the shepherd would speak to the... Uh, in fact, there was a guy named H.V. Morton who was a famous journalist, famous for his work with uh, the discovery of King Tut's tomb. But he was writing in the 20s and in the 30s. And he, and he, he came across some shepherds who were talking to their sheep, and he said this, sometimes he talks to them in a loud sing-song voice, using a weird language, unlike anything I've ever heard. Lifting his voice, he spoke to the goats. It was uncanny because there was nothing human about it. The words were animal sound, arranged in a kind of order. And they say that the sheep would become so familiar with the voice of its shepherd that they would sometimes gather multiple herds together and each shepherd would walk in. And when he spoke to his sheep, the sheep would naturally divide themselves and move toward their shepherd. Notice too, it says, he calls his sheep by name. You know, my wife has chickens. I hate chickens. <laughs> she loves chickens. My little granddaughter Garnet loves chickens. And Garnet has named all of Amy's chickens. Garnet's six years old. She's named all of Amy's chickens. I don't know any of their names. I just call them chickens. When I walk in, I say, go on, chickens. Get out of the way, chickens. Yeah, get out of here, chickens. That's how I talk to the chickens. But when Garnet moves in, the chickens run to her. She'll be walking up, and, I, and she'll, I'll say, Garnet, who do you have? And she'll say, this is Snowflake. Snowflake used to be called Lemon, but as, he grow, as she grew older, she changed colors. So she's Snowflake now. And she'd say, have you seen Liberty? Liberty was born on the 4th of July. I'm like, no, what does she look like? She's named every one of them. She's got, there's Little Bit and Wedding and Coffee and Dino and Pecky and Chip and Fake Chip. Fake Chip looks just like Chip. <laughs> then there are the four that you can't tell apart, Eeny, Meeny, Miny, and Mo. And I don't even know what the rest of their names are. I don't know. I don't even know how many there are, 30 or 40, but Garnet knows all of them, and she calls them all by name. And the other day, she went into the coop, and she came running out. Uh, Miss Clydesdale had died during the week, and Amy had hauled the carcass off. And uh, Garnet went in and came running out and said, Mamie, Mamie, I can't find Miss Clydesdale anywhere. And I thought, how amazing is that, that a six-year-old girl walks into a bunch of sheep who, I mean, sheep, chickens, who all look just alike. But she knows every one of them by name. 
so much that she misses one when it's gone. And I thought, how even more incredible is it that our shepherd, the good shepherd, knows every one of us by name. He knows your name of all the people in all the world. And you know, here's what I want you to hear from that. You matter to the shepherd. And you got to hear that because sometimes it feels like you don't matter to anybody. You know, we all come to those points in our lives that it just feels like we're so isolated and alone. And it's like, if I were to die right now, nobody would care. There's a line in that movie, The Blind, you know, the movie about Phil Robertson. And by the way, if you haven't seen that, it's a really, it'd be a great movie to take a friend to because it's really a clear presentation of the gospel, but it's not one of these kind of corny Christian movies. It's really well done. And there's a line, I, I think it's from the pastor in the movie. I think his name was Bill Smith, and he's talking to Miss Kay, and the marriage is kind of in trouble. I think that was, a, it, it all happened so fast. But the line kind of stuck in my head. He said, there comes a time in all of our lives where we feel completely alone. That may not be the exact quote, but it's close enough. And there comes a time in your life where you're going to feel completely alone. And, and you need to remember that you have a shepherd and that you matter to the shepherd and that the belief that you are completely alone is really not a truth because you're never alone if you're in Christ. I, I've been in those places myself and, and I, it's so easy to forget. I'm, I may feel alone, but I'm not alone because the shepherd you're dear to him. Secondly, you're directed by the shepherd. Verse four, when he puts forth all his own, that's an interesting expression, puts forth. That word is ekbalo in the Greek, not to give you a Greek lesson, but it's two words. Ek means out of or away from, and balo is where we get the word ballistic. It means to cast or throw. Uh, and so it's a really strong word, I cast or throw, ekbalo. In fact, in John chapter 9, we saw the story of the man that was blind from birth, and Jesus said, heal him, and they dragged him to the Pharisees, and they're saying, okay, confess, Jesus is a sinner. How, did, how do you say you were blind and now you see? And he's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And they got so mad at him at the very end of that, they said they cast him out, understanding that they casted him out of the synagogue. Same word, to cast out. Well, it's, it's, it's sort of hard to get at here because when you read it in verse 4, it says, when he puts forth all his own, if you're to translate that, he casts out, it's, it's almost contrary to the very meaning that, that the context gives us. So why would he use such a, a difficult word, a violent, forceful word? And then I remember that sheep don't always follow. Um, sometimes... We walk through that gate willingly, but most of the time it takes a push. And so when the sheep don't follow, what does the shepherd do? He casts them. I've said this many times. You know that beautiful poem about footprints in the sand, and there were two footprints in the sand, and, and uh, I had a dream, two footprints in the sand. Then I came to the hard parts, and there was only one set of footprints, and I was upset, and I said, God, why is it that in the hard parts there's only one set of footprints? Have you left me? And God says, no, my child, that's where I carried you. And it's such a beautiful thing. It's on everybody's coffee mugs and all that stuff. And I thought, 
But that's not been my experience. My experience is there's two footprints in the sand, and then in the hard times, there's a set of footprints and a set of drag marks. And that's where God says, no, my son, that's where I dragged you. And sometimes I had to kick you, and I had to push you, and I had to cast you out to get you to go through that gate that you just wouldn't go through. You know, Friday, Amy and I were talking, and uh, I said, you know, it's been a really good day. What day is it today? I want to mark this as a really good day. She said, Friday the 13th. I said, well, it was a good Friday the 13th. That morning, we were doing some stuff. I was working on this barn thing I'm working on, and Matthew shows up with three lawnmowers, mine that he had borrowed and two that he had broken, and he's like, hey, can we fix these? We'll get to that later, and He helped me with some stuff with the barn, and we sat around, drank coffee. He left. Amy went to Walmart, and I did my deal and uh, came back around. Here comes Andrew with three of the four grandkids, and it was just a great day, just sitting on the porch doing nothing, just a great day. And I said, you know what's interesting about this day that was so good is that we didn't plan any of it. And then Amy and I started talking as we were just kind of end of the day talking And uh, I said, you know, it it seems to me that all the best times in life are those that we didn't plan. It's just a moment that happens, you know, a chance encounter, unscheduled opportunity. And then we started expanding that out to think of the meaningful moments of our life that literally changed the course of our life that were unscheduled. Now, this isn't to say that we just live like a bunch of bohemians and we don't plan anything. You know, the wise man foresees the future and hides himself. Others go on and are punished for it. I get all that. Go to the ant observer ways. I get that. But the truth is, so much of what is significant in my life wasn't scheduled. Like there, there was a time I was at Southwestern Seminary and I was so poor, I couldn't afford a phone. I'm not talking about a cell phone. I'm talking about a landline. There weren't any such thing as cell phones. And I, I, I went to cash a check at the cashier's office, and when I turned to walk out, there was a chalkboard, and my name was on the chalkboard. It said, Bill Dye, call uh, 409-963-1881. I'll never forget that number. And I was like, what in the world? I had never walked into the cashier's office and cashed a check before that. That was the only time I ever went in there that I could remember. But they had written my name on the chalkboard because somebody was looking for me. I called the number, and it was First Baptist Church of Groves, Texas. They wanted to talk to me about coming to be their youth minister. Had I not walked in there and when God, for whatever reason, allowed me to do that, I wouldn't have seen it. They would have probably called somebody else. So I called the number. They hired me that Saturday, asked if I, and asked if I could stay over for Sunday so they could present me to the church. And seven years later, Amy and I drove out of Groves, Texas with a, a U-Haul truck and two kids in tow. And it was a life-changing instantaneous moment. There was that day that I walked home and Amy handed me a cardigan sweater and I said, what's this? And she said, you're going to be a dad. She was so excited. I was not excited at all (laughs) because I thought I can't even pay for us. I don't know how I'm going to pay for us and someone else. But that was a life-changing moment for us. Sometimes those moments aren't pleasant. You know, like the time I got the phone call from my brother-in-law that Amy's father had passed away one week to the day before Christmas unexpectedly. And I had to go and pull her out of a school where she was at a Christmas party for one of the boys 
to tell her that her dad had passed. And sometimes we get those, those moments that seem terrible in the moment, but God has a plan for it. Like Mike Smith from North Monroe Baptist Church called us one day. I was building Amy's dream house. We had been at the church we were at for seven years, and we thought, well, I guess we'll always be here. Mike Smith from North Monroe Pulpit Search Committee called, and he got Amy, and Amy was not enthusiastic at all. In fact, she had no, when we went to talk to him, she looked at me and said, tell me again while we're doing this. I said, baby, we're just trying to be open. We're just trying to be open. 22 years later, she'll tell you it was one of the greatest things to ever happen to her. And then we talked and she said, you know, so many of these unplanned, unscathed, you know, the Bible says many of the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord directs his steps. And, and then we, we, Amy said, you know what's, what I wish is that when those moments come, that instead of reacting the way we do, that we would trust. And that we would just go, you know what? I've been here before. This doesn't feel good right now. I can't wait to see how God's going to use this thing. But I think that's what he has in mind with the sheep. Sometimes he's got to pick you up by the wool and cast you through the gate. He pushes us where we don't want to go so that we can get to where we've always wanted to be. And the shepherd calls our name and pushes us through that gate, directing the course of our lives. Look at verse 4. He goes ahead of them. This is the difference between a shepherd in Israel and a shepherd in England. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And that goes ahead doesn't just mean that he walks in front, but that he is preeminent. The word is a form of the word used for emperor. He is not only in the lead, he is the leader. The shepherd is always in charge, never the sheep. Verse 5, a stranger, they simply will not follow. Man, a wise sheep, right? But will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. And then there's this transition because the people don't get it. Verse 6, figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying. So they're listening and they don't understand. I'm like, how could you not understand, man? You're Jewish, Every one of you has to have Psalm 23 memorized. The Lord is my shepherd. How could you not know what he's talking about? Maybe it's the gate thing that he started out with. And so Jesus switches the metaphors on it. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And again, he's now using that gate or doorway idea in a second sense. This is no longer the communal uh, a sheepfold in the village or neighborhood. This is now the wilderness uh, sheepfold where the sheep are grazing and the shepherd, whether there's any gate or not, he is the gate. And all of a sudden he's beginning to say to them, I am the way. Uh, notice what he says. Uh, truly, truly, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And that go in and out is, 
is again a way, it's an idiom of the Hebrew that means that I, I move in safety and I move in security. There's a way of saying I go and my comings in and my goings out are before you, right? But here's the point, don't miss this. He's the only way to the Father. He's the gate. John 14, 6, he would later say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. You know, what about this group? Or what about that group? Or what about that group? Look, there's only one way, and it's through Jesus. There's only one gate. And notice it's a narrow gate. It's only as wide as Jesus. It's as wide as one man. Every guy's got to come in through one man. It's not a, it's not a big rush down a, a broad way. It's a narrow opening, and every sheep has to go in through it individually as the shepherd checks each sheep to make sure that sheep belongs to him. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. But look, when you find the gate, you find life. And I think it's more than just eternal life, as if that weren't enough. But it's a, it's a meaningful life. It's a full and rich life. Look at uh, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan, and that's what he's after. I came that they might have life and have it how? Abundantly. And I want to say this to you. Just keep this in your mind. Satan always denigrates. Jesus always elevates. And you can see this looking anywhere in your life. Satan's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And everywhere he is in control and at work, that's what you see. And you're seeing it all across the scope of our world. In places where Jesus is not glorified, there is chaos. But where Jesus is glorified, there's life and freedom. And rather than chaos, you find order. And rather than longing, you find fulfillment. I mean, look around this room. I mean, yeah, there's still struggles here. Nobody's perfect. But there's life here. And it's the kind of life that attracts people. That's what brought me to Jesus. I started dating this Christian girl who's got this beautiful life. And I'm like, man, I've been living in chaos and I love what I see, and I'm attracted to that. I was attracted to her life before I realized that Jesus was the source of that. He comes to give us abundant life. And not only does, is Jesus the gate to eternal life, He's the gate to abundant life. We're going to see that more clearly next time uh, in chapter 11 when He talks about, I'm the resurrection and the life. But for now, here's the point. The shepherd's in the, in the lead, and when the shepherd's in the lead, life is always headed up, even when you might think it's headed down because he's directing your life. And then the third thing I see here is you're, de you're defended by the shepherd. You're defended by the shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know, there's a difference between a, a shepherd and a sheep herder. The hireling isn't going to risk his life for a sheep. He says that in verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. That's you and me. He's talking to the Jews at this time. We were the sheep that were going to come in later, the Gentiles. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice and will become one flock with one shepherd. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for this. Man, this came home to me last week, week before when Hamas attacked Israel. Among the many stories of atrocities from this terrorist attack, and, and make no mistake, it's a terrorist attack. Among the many atrocities, there was this one beautiful story of a retired Jewish general named Israel Ziv, who was riding his bike when the warning sounds went off, 5,000 Hamas rockets flying into Israel, uh, uh, the whole uh, southern border uh, invaded by Hamas fighters who are looking to create as much terror and chaos as possible, invading elementary schools, uh, uh, music festivals, all of that's going on. And General Ziv is riding his bicycle when he hears the news, he turns around, rides home, finds his old uniform, puts it on, grabs his service revolver, jumps in his Audi, and heads toward the battle. Sitting beside him in the Audi was his friend, General Ahel Tabone. Ahel Tabone's son, a prominent journalist, had called his father in deep distress, saying gunmen were closing in on him and his family. And General Tabone said, he told his son, trust me, I will come. This is my profession. Nobody can stop me. It's hard for me to read that without tearing up for the love of a father. I mean, this is a real life Liam Neeson in a taken moment. I'm coming. Nobody can stop me. And when those two generals arrived at the battle, it was like a scene out of secondhand lions. There were hundreds of Hamas fighters in that region, heavily armed with machine guns, heavy machine guns, rocket-propelled grenades, the whole bit. There's two general, two retired generals in an Audi with two service revolvers, and they're going to take on hundreds. The Israeli army hadn't arrived yet, and as it began to uh, trickle in, they quickly organized the battlefield, created a, a, a force to not only push back Hamas, but to rescue many people who would have been taken captive, including General Tabon's son, who they rescued on that day. And when I read that, and I thought of the love of the shepherd who's willing to lay down his life. I got a whole new image of what the shepherd looks like and feels like for me. I'm coming. It's my job. Nobody can stop me. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Why doesn't that set you free? You know the difference between Jesus and Generals Ziv and Tabone? You know what the difference was? They were willing to die. Jesus died. Not only would the shepherd die for the sheep, but he did die for the sheep. 
Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my own life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. The command I this command I received from my Father. I mean, what's it like to know that the shepherd would die for you, that did die for you? And here's the thing I want you to understand. He died for you even when you wouldn't live for him. Here's an insight. Jesus is the good shepherd even when we're bad sheep. Isn't that beautiful? There's freedom in that. Jesus will always remain the good shepherd even when we're bad sheep. He doesn't just love us when we do right because we don't do right. What's Isaiah say? All of us like sheep have gone astray. He just turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. See, I want you to hear that because maybe you're here today feeling isolated and alone like you have no worth. Can I say this to you and I hope you'll hear it? You are dear to the Father. You are dear to the shepherd. He speaks to you. Do you know his voice? He calls you by name. There may be moments of isolation in your life where you feel like you don't matter to anybody. That is not true. You matter. And he will direct you. I mean, how many times do we come to these moments of like, I can't see my way clearly. I don't know what to do. And then in that moment, there's this experience and unplanned, unaccounted for, God just shows up in the course of your life, changes direction. And you see after he throws you through the sheep gate, what his plan was. He's got to make you do what you don't want to do to get you to where you've always wanted to be. He's going to direct you and he will defend you. Have no fear and be free. Church, be free. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we thank you that you're the good shepherd. We thank you that Jesus not only was willing to die for us, but did die for us. We thank you, Father, that you know us by name, that you call our name, and that we matter. We thank you, Father, that you have a plan and purpose for our lives and that you're going to direct us. And Father, more than anything, we thank you that no matter what we get ourselves into, that you're going to come for us, that that's what you do, and nothing will stop you. And Father, I pray for those that are struggling right now that they would rest in that. That we are your sheep. You are our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.